Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I'd like to begin this episode today by turning to Luke chapter 18, where we will be reading verses 9 through 14. That's Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The passage tells us, And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The purpose of some of the Lord's parables is not always clear, but here it is clearly stated. In verse 9 we find, And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Jesus reinforced that with his summary at the end of verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. As an example of one who exalted himself, Jesus used the Pharisee. For an example of humility, he used the tax collector. They certainly represented extremes in Jewish society. The Pharisee was on the top rung of the moral, religious, and even social ladder. The publican was at the bottom. To really understand, we need to know something about these two men. The first words of the parable are, two men went up into the temple to pray. God had intended that the temple be a house of prayer. Devout Jews who lived close to the temple went there to pray. Those who lived a distance away prayed toward the temple. There were at least three times set a day for prayer. One of these two men was a Pharisee. That is not surprising, for the Pharisees were extremely conscientious concerning religious rituals. While the Pharisees are often presented in a very bad light in the Gospel accounts, to appreciate this parable, we need to understand that the Jews viewed the Pharisees as guardians of that which was good, decent, and honorable. They were serious about serving God and preserving what they viewed as sacred traditions. To many, the Pharisees stood out 
as bastions of spiritual stability. There is no reason to doubt the Pharisee's self-evaluation in verses 11 and 12. Assuming it was accurate, he had high moral principles. He was not a swindler and upright in his business dealings. He treated other men fairly, not being unjust. He was not an adulterer. He even tried to go beyond the demands of the law. The law of Moses prescribed one day of fasting a year, that on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees fasted twice a week. The law commanded tithes, 10%, of grain, wine, oil, and herds. But the Pharisees gave tithes of all that they had, even the tiniest garden herbs, according to Matthew 23 and verse 23. The Jews would have viewed him as a good man, possessing a good reputation and with an obviously strong religious conviction. It is not at all surprising to see that the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. It was normal. On the other hand was the tax collector. It may have been for the Jews of that time that if there was an individual who would not be expected in the temple praying, a tax collector would probably fit that bill. The Roman way of collecting taxes was this. Generally speaking, officials assessed an area at a certain sum and then gave the right to collect the taxes to the highest bidder. As long as the contractor paid Rome the agreed sum, he was free to keep the rest for himself. It was an arrangement ready-made for abuse. There were hundreds of ways a greedy tax collector could cheat the people. As far as the Jews were concerned, when a fellow countryman became a tax collector, he was a traitor and probably dishonest. The tax collector in the parable called himself a sinner, and no one would have argued with him. As a general rule, the tax collector was considered part of the dregs of Jewish society and shunned by the respectable people. Nevertheless, a tax collector went to the temple to pray. I don't know why he went. I am certain it was not a habit like it was for the Pharisees, but whatever the reason, this social outcast went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and was praying. There is no significance to the fact that he was standing. That was and is a common posture of prayer. He probably did stand where he could easily be seen with his broad phylacteries, looking at others around him. However, we do find that he was praying to himself. That may mean silently, but I kind of doubt it. The prayer started right. God, I thank thee. And if he had stopped right there, he might have gone to his house justified. But the prayer continued. I am not like other people. And that was true. His lifestyle was better than average. And he wanted everybody to know it. He listed the type of people he had in mind, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and then he looked around and saw someone he recognized as a tax collector. I don't know how. It is interesting that when men want to make themselves look good, they invariably compare themselves with the worst, not the best. After listing what he did not do, the Pharisee named the things he did. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. The tense used in the verb translated 
and was praying indicated that he kept on praying in this vein. So he probably added other virtues. Jesus did say that the Pharisees liked to, for appearance sake, offer long prayers in Luke chapter 20 and verse 47. I would imagine most of the listeners would have seen nothing wrong with that prayer. Probably everything he said was true. I'm showing my age here a little bit, but years ago there was a TV show whose main character was called Will Sonnet, and he used to say, no brag, just fact. So what was wrong with the prayer? Several things, but I will mention just two in line with the point of the parable. He trusted in himself. He acknowledged God, but exalted himself. He also viewed others with contempt, saying, I thank thee that I am not like other people. Literally, he said, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men. In other words, there's me and my fellow Pharisees, and then there's all the rest. It should be granted that the Pharisee had higher moral standards than others. No doubt he tried harder to fulfill God's demands. However, compared with the Lord to whom he was praying, he was nothing. It reminds me of an illustration. We have all seen red ants, some of them about a quarter inch long. Then there are what some call sugar ants, those little black ants, less than an eighth of an inch, that seem to come inside looking for food. Picture a red ant and a sugar ant standing on a sidewalk. The red ant lifts its antenna and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as other ants, even as this puny sugar ant. I am bigger and stronger and prettier. The red ant no sooner gets the words out when a teenage boy comes walking along and stomps both the red and the sugar ant flat. The point is, the red ant may be bigger than the sugar ant, but compared to a human, he is tiny and insignificant. Likewise, one man may be superior morally and religiously to another, but all of us, compared to the God of the universe, are as nothing. It makes it foolish for any of us to view others with contempt. Jesus contrasted the arrogance of the Pharisee with the humility of the tax collector. Feeling his unworthiness, the publican stood some distance away. He was unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven. But beneath the burden of his sin, he stood there with his head bowed. He also beat his breast, an Eastern expression of profound sorrow. He started by addressing God and, like the Pharisee, his prayer centered on himself but the two prayers were profoundly different. The tax collector's prayer is almost painfully short, just seven words. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He listed no virtues, although surely he had some. He freely acknowledged his sinfulness, confessing that he was a sinner without excuse. He even emphasized his position with the definite article, thee, before the word sinner. Hence, the sinner. He didn't find comfort in the fact that all men are sinners, nor did he try to look around and find one who was worse. He did not ask for riches, fame, success, health, or anything like that. He asked for mercy. He said, God, be merciful to me, 
the sinner. The usual Greek word for mercy is not used in the phrase translated be merciful. Instead, the publican used the form of the word often translated propitiate. The biblical concept of atonement is packed into the word propitiate. By his nature, God cannot tolerate sin. Sin must be punished. Man could do nothing in and of ourselves to appease God's wrath. God provided that sacrifices be made to atone for sin. In the Old Testament, animal sacrifices were made. In the New Testament, the perfect and final sacrifice of Jesus on the cross has been made for our sins. That is stated so simply in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. Paul wrote, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I'm not sure why the Lord used this word here, but it certainly indicates that the tax collector recognized the exceeding sinfulness of sin and his desperate need for forgiveness. Burdened beneath the weight of guilt, he cried out for relief, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. His attitude reminds me of Psalm 40 and verse 12, which tells us, For evils upon number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Each of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. You may perhaps remember 1 John 1 verse 10, written to Christians, where he said, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. When we stand exposed in the floodlight of God's mercy, all we can do is cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus had first depicted the Pharisee as the one most noteworthy from the standpoint of the community, but he concluded by reversing the order. He said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee who had spoken disparagingly of other people was relegated to the status of the other. The clear implication of verse 14 in Luke 18 is that the Pharisee went to his house unjustified, but I'll bet, figuratively speaking, that he left the temple in the same state of self-satisfaction with which he had come, unaware that he had prayed essentially a prayerless prayer. Imagine the shock of one such as that when he ultimately learns for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. On the other hand, we are told that the tax collector went to his house justified, declared free of guilt. His transgressions were blotted out. He was cleansed. I think of Psalm 103 and verse 12 when I think of this truly sorrowful and penitent tax collector. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let us be certain that when we approach God in prayer, we do so for the proper reasons and with the proper attitude. I hope this has been beneficial for you. Thanks for listening.